I connect very deeply with the mission of Walmart, the save money, live better mantra. I saw that in action. I had a hands-on view and it really resonates with me. And so then looking for an opportunity to get that close to a problem that resonates was important. That was one of the major factors that brought me to Flip is the mission at Flip is very, very similar. It's how do we make life more affordable for families and then use a broad retail platform in order to do it. And I really think that that was one of the motivating factors. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at MENA Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! I am so pleased to have with us here today, Rick Newman. Um, Rick, I'm going to give a little bit of your bio and then I'm going to welcome you officially to the pod. But um, for those listening, Rick is currently the CT and CPO uh, at Flip. Now, what is Flip? You may want to know. Um, Flip is a leading retail tech company that is currently has quite the ambition. It's going to reinvent the digital shopping experience. Now, I can't wait to dig into that because Rick has a lot of really good experience to drive his ability to help make this a success. Today at Flip, what he's responsible for is to understand how shoppers connect with savings and deals to make their lives more affordable, while also helping merchants win new customers and bring their promotional strategies to life. So kind of a tool side uh, strategy there. Rick has a lot of experience in this area and has been creating and improving digital shopping experiences for retailers and startups um, since 2005. And as we'll learn, uh, not only did he work across U.S. and Canada, but he also has worked in over 27 markets internationally. He is really passionate about helping shoppers realize the joy of finding that perfect product at a price they love. I'm pretty sure every single person listening to that says, yes, I'd like more of that. Um, and also at the same time, making sure that the merchants who are offering those products are able to meet shoppers in an ever-changing and ever-complex e-com marketplace to really elevate the experience um, of convenience and service. So we're going to hear all about Rick and his journey, um, but just a quick debrief. Before he was at Flip, uh, he was managing the international technology strategy merchandising products for Walmart International, which is where he was managing over 27 different markets. Um, which was a huge job. And he had access to all the global technology and services strategy that was there. Before he started there, uh, he was the EVP of Ecom and the Chief Technology Officer for Walmart Canada, where he was responsible for launching major programs like online grocery, marketplace, and store pickup. And before that, he uh, had, well, uh, several things, but one of the things he has is an MBA um, and an honors BCom from McMaster University. He is also on the uh, more soft side or the, the personal side, the father of three energetic kids. And uh, we're so happy to have him here with us today. Rick, thank you for joining us on For the Love of Product. My absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Now tell me, um, because it's become one of the more interesting things that's going on in this world, where are you dialing in from or zooming in from today? So I am currently zooming in from the lovely Toronto, Canada uh, mm -hmm. in the late February timeframe, which is... Uh, one of the worst times to be in the lovely Toronto area, but I couldn't be happier to be here. It's a fantastic place to be, and I call it home. It certainly looks sunny, I have to say. I mean, the view behind you is like brilliantly bright, so it doesn't look very gloomy right now. No, the, the nice part is the sunshine is good. Um, when it comes with cold and snow, it's less good, yeah. um, but I will certainly take it when you can see blue skies and some sunlight. It's a yeah. nice 
Well, coming from a Seattle and now London girl, I absolutely say never forget the value of blue sky outside. It's really, really precious. So, um, okay, enough about weather. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today, Rick. We, as all the ho- all the guests who come on the show, we did a little brainstorming ahead of time to talk about what would be an exciting story and yours is a doozy. So um, I think one of the things I want to kind of ask about, uh, which will be a good jumping off point is, Let's go back to about this time last year, right? As I said in the intro, you had a big job and your big job was responsible for basically leading all things product and strategy for the Walmart Labs International. That's 27 different markets. Um, What was going on in in that time? And uh, I mean, I guess one of the obvious questions is you're not there now, you're at Flip. So what happened and how did that come about? Yeah, uh, fantastic question. And it's important to reflect on that. It's been a year. Uh, since joining Flip, I crossed my year mark a couple of weeks back. And so it's been a successful year, which is especially exciting. And it was a, a hard decision uh, to move from like the Fortune One company, the largest company in the world, um, and come to a much, much smaller organization uh, that's trying to do things in a different way. So at, at the time, um, let, let me set the scene for you. I had been leading e-commerce and technology in Canada for a number of years and was incredibly proud of the work that we had done there in terms of enhancing the customer experience, bringing new capabilities to the market that uh, that were relatively new for shoppers. We were one of the first to launch online grocery as an example, which was one of my passion projects and something I'm to this day still the most proud of in terms of the work that we did. Uh, and then I, w- I was asked to say like, okay, you've had this kind of success in Canada. How can you bring that uh, to the international markets? And how can we learn from the experience of becoming more agile, launching more digital programs, um, really embracing technology in a new way and bring that to the international stage. And so I picked up my family, we moved to the US, uh, we moved to Arkansas. And in in the process, um, we got to experience a whole host of new things and, and get to work on projects that were really, really exciting spanning the globe, like hiring CIOs and hiring like CTOs in Japan and China and other markets is one of the things I'm still most passionate about from the work that we did there because it enabled those markets uh, to move really fast, um, give them kind of the toolkit that they needed to be successful, and then find new ways to leverage technology across those international markets was really fun. Um, Yeah. It sounds really fun. I mean, it, it sounds like you're getting to do both building products that you love, but actually building product teams and enablers to be able to build more products that you love, which is kind of the dream, right? And at that scale, that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. And, and so there's there's a lot to be said around the work that we were doing and and what was going on. The, the hard part about that is truly the toll that it takes and then the things that one learns in the process. So I was trying to bring what I had picked up in my time at Walmart Canada and then enable other markets to be more successful. And over the several years that I was there in doing it, I'm really proud of the work that we had done. But in terms of then how I was growing, the things that I was learning, um, this was really one of the pivotal decision points for me is, am I learning what I think is going to be relevant to then building better products and serving um, the purpose that I feel like I have on this planet the best way? And unfortunately, that part I felt was really missing. What I was learning was how to build global products and how to get 100 different people to agree. Let's say all of the chief merchants from all the different markets, plus all of their next in commands, plus all of their then merchandising teams, which can in some case equal thousands of people 
to all agree on a particular path forward and then leverage those products in the right way, get feedback in so that we can evolve it, um, all while trying not to disproportionately advantage the larger markets while leaving the smaller markets um, to the side. It was mostly learning how to manage a political game and play <laughs> politics. Out of my mouth. I literally was thinking right. your next career choice could have actually been to go into politics, honestly. Right. Yes, and it, it felt that way at times. And while it's necessary and the work that you do has a massive impact globally, um, it had been a number of months since I had done a real UX review on a product I was incredibly passionate about with live customers myself. And I just felt like I was getting pulled too far away from the problem uh, and not necessarily contributing in the way that I wanted to learn. And so I could keep going down that road and learning more about it, but it would be applicable to literally one place on the planet. And that was Walmart. Yeah. And so instead, I was keen to find a way that I could learn more around the things that I was passionate about. I connect very deeply with the mission of Walmart, the save money, live better mantra. I saw that in action. I had a hands-on view to how that became real in many cases. And it really resonates with me. And so then looking for an opportunity to get that close to a problem that resonates was important. And that was one of the major factors that brought me to Flip is the mission at Flip is very, very similar. It's how do we make life more affordable for families and, and then use a broad retail platform in order to do it. And, and I really think that that was one of the motivating factors. Okay. There is a few things I want to dig into there. Um, one of the things that you said was your mission on this planet, right? And that as you reflected on what you were doing um, with Walmart at this point in the international role, you knew that you weren't going to be able to kind of fulfill that. Talk to us about how do you know what your, your mission on life is, right? What do you think is Rick's purpose here? Um, because very few people, I think, actually have a good understanding of what it is that drives them in that way. And it's really inspiring when you hear someone who has a you know, good understanding or at least what they think is a good understanding of what that is. That's, that's a great question. And honestly, I don't know if I got it perfect, but I know that there are things in this world that get me excited that I think give back. And if I can lean in and do more of those things, then I can leave things in a better place than I found them. And, and that to me is enough. That, that's kind of where I draw the line. I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Um, yeah. And I mean, the goosebumps are there because I think actually it'd be interesting to do a study of, uh, you know, heads of product and things, but that's probably fairly true for a lot of us, right? We know that we can build things when we are excited and we're engaged and we're brought to life by it. Right. And we think that that does something positive. It creates some value in the world and we just want to do that. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I'd love to talk with you about today um, is how challenging it is when you get to a place where you are at the top of the top and you realize you're not doing the things that actually motivate you or really enable you to feel that passion and to connect. So I guess the next question I have is, how'd you get so good at staying self-aware? Like, how did you find the time? I mean, especially with 27 markets, three kids and move to the US, like how did you find the time to reflect and realize you weren't doing, you know, you hadn't been in one of those UX reviews for six months. Like, where did that come from? You know, those flights to China and Japan and, and India and the UK, they're pretty long uh, from Arkansas with a couple of hops. It gives you a lot of reflection time. Uh, I'm mostly joking. I mean, that that is where you find the time for a lot of things, but mostly it's catching up on movies that you would see in the box office. Um, because uh, with kids, you just never see anything that you actually want to see. 
But I, I think that you need to make time for yourself to reflect on what's important to you. And I, I was not unhappy in, in my existence. I, I really felt like I was making a difference to those markets, but I didn't know how sustainable it was going to be if I didn't invest more in myself and my own enthusiasm as well, because you need to find a way to kind of refill the tank uh, from yeah. time to time and build that motivation. And as you advance in your career and as you take on different jobs, uh, you find a different way to fill the tank and it needs to be relatively incremental. Um, in my first job as a marketing analyst, I, I could have lived in Excel. I loved it. I, you know, I was pulling together data sheets. I was pulling together insights. And you know, so much of my time was hands-on with the data that when I moved into a, my first like manager of product manager role and I wasn't able to do that with my time, it was a dissatisfier. I didn't feel as prepared to make decisions. And I, I learned over time how to get more and more motivated by helping people to make those decisions versus making them myself with hands on the data and let go more. And it, it took some people on my team actively pushing me saying, Rick, you know, you hired me to do this. Let me do it. Um, in order to come to that realization, then take joy from their successes versus something else. And that needs to remain true every step of the way that you find a new way to take joy uh, out of the work that you were doing. And, and I was getting some amount of that, but I didn't see a path to a sustainable amount of replenishment on my motivation down that particular track without seeing some new level of growth for myself. Perfect. So that is a really tangible kind of exercise to go through. Um, I think Adriana Huffington said it in, in her book, Thrive, like we'll let our selves become basically on red, but we'd never let our cell phone, right? go empty. And we really need to, the analogy being, we need to treat ourselves a little bit more preciously and think about, you know, um, are we, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Type of thing. Where did you pick up on kind of knowing how important that was? Did that, did that, I mean, awareness come from a mentor? Was it just solely you kind of thinking about the moves from each job, as you mentioned, and what you needed to do? Um, where did that come from and any tips for how other people can be a bit more aware of it as they go on? That, that's a difficult question. Um, I don't know that there was ever a very specific question, uh, like topic of conversation with a mentor that suggested, you know, one must focus on where you learn. If I, if I could pick on any particular mentor, um, it would be one of my very, very first bosses, uh, a lady named Sharon Palmer, who was super instructive in terms of focusing on what are you learning and, and how are you reflecting on what are you doing to grow yourself, to make yourself more relevant because the world around you is changing every day. And at the time, again, this was, I was working at Canadian Tire, uh, which is one of the larger Canadian retailers that not everybody knows about, but is a, a super cool brand. If you ever come to Canada, you've got to step in a store, totally different experience. Um, and there was so much growth. It was my first job in e-commerce, uh, first job in marketing uh, at a brand. And there was so much to learn and I, I threw myself at it and she never stopped putting new challenges in my way. I think it was my very first week and my boss um, quit. And then I was thrown into the fire of like, okay, what do you do? You can wait and look for instruction or you can have someone like Sharon say, well, here's what we need to do. Why don't you give it a try? And, and that was really instructive for me. So I, I'd say that was probably the, the biggest unlocker of this understanding on the power of learning is like the major thing to invest in yourself with. 
Okay. Well, thank you to Sharon for you and for the rest of us, because I think that's a great, a great type of freedom that um, you're right. It can come from a make it or break it moment and it can be very chaotic or scary to have something change and you have to kind of make sense of it, but it's where uh, your metal is often made, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've had a number of really interesting roles and you've told us a little bit about it. One of the things I'm curious about is, you know, how you think the the world of product has evolved over this time. Like, what are the changes that you've seen and you found interesting? Um, You know, is there something that surprised you or is there a certain like, wow, you know, when I started as a product manager, my whole existence was to do this. And that looks nothing like what I do today, right? I'm just always curious of people who've really got a lot of experience, what they think has happened as the the the, the vertical in the industry itself has really evolved. Sure. I mean, to tell that story, maybe I can talk a little bit about my first role in product, uh, how that came to be, uh, and then what I've seen evolve since then. So my first role in product came in 2009. I was uh, previously working at Canadian Tire, leading their email marketing program, and you know, being an email marketing manager, um, your your job is very much operating and running that that job. There's an email that goes out multiple times per week, so you're planning the schedule, you're cultivating your list, you're building content, um, and you're doing all things that kind of take ownership. One of the things that really motivated me at the time, this was like 2007, 2008 was how do we leverage technology to do this better? Like, what are the opportunities to bring more personalization in? And then worked with my technology team to allow for each individual email to personalize to a certain degree, as far as the technology allowed us in the 2007 timeframe. And the results were just staggeringly good. Our open rates jumped 30%, our click-through rates jumped 35%. It was super exciting. And that was the unlock for me on the power of leveraging more technology to solve real business problems. Uh, so at the time then, uh, Sears Canada came knocking and said, hey, Rick, do you want to come work for us and run email? We hear you're pretty good at it. And I told them no, uh, because I wasn't sure what I was going to learn. You can see the theme kind of coming through now. Um, I was already running a highly successful email program at a comparably large uh, Canadian retailer, having a good time doing it. So making that jump wasn't going to teach me anything. And then they came back and said, well, we've got this role. We don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. We hear it's called product management. Why don't you come do that with us and for us? And that sounded exciting. That was totally new horizons, something that I could really help define. And so I jumped into Sears as the very first product manager. And then within the first six months, had hired three more product managers to build you know, the team for Sears.ca and our e-commerce proposition. And that was incredibly exciting. But we were, we were babies. We knew nothing about what it meant to be product managers at the time. What were you hiring for in those first three PMs? What were you or POs, whichever they were? What, what, what was the profile? So, and I still kind of hold to this day that having a blended team is the right approach with different skills. So at the time, not knowing necessarily what product was and not really seeing any product roles in Canada in retail at the time, uh, I went with a trifecta of deep technology experience So someone who understands technology and can help affect change in technology with a proven track record, Um, deep subject matter expertise, in this case, like digital marketing and commerce, and wicked smart. So in the case of hiring three people, I always look for someone who can check off all three of those boxes. Even to this day, it's very rare. If I can get two, I'm thrilled. Um, You know, 
And at the time I had an individual who kind of was the, the poster child of those things. So I had someone who had a deep digital marketing background who could help us kind of evolve the front end and how we connect with the shopper experience. I had somebody who was far more technical who could help us with <clears throat> the checkout experience and all of the different integrations and payment things that were necessary there. Uh, and then I had somebody who was wicked smart and had a ton of potential who was helping me with some of the like um, the underlying components around content management and the like the item file and, and things like that, that really powered the experience. And that group uh, ultimately became my seed product team. And two of those people then followed me on to Walmart um, and they are both still there and doing extremely well. Um, now promoted all the way up to uh, senior director and VP of product, which is incredibly exciting to see that original team still find yeah. Yeah, that must make you feel exceptionally proud. Um, and that's really cool to hear. Wow. I mean, it must have been a very interesting process to be trailblazing in such a new area. And this is one of the things that makes me love doing this podcast is that, you know, you say you go back 10, 20 years in several companies, product didn't exist, right? And the CPO certainly didn't exist, right? Um, so tell me a little bit about your, your journey and the role of product leadership, right? Um, for any of us who have been a early product leader on a team, right? So uh, being one of the first or second product leaders who have joined the exec team or the senior management team, um, we know that a lot of times our work is educating our colleagues about what we're there for as much as doing our job, right? Tell me about what you've learned, um, you know, lessons in leadership and product leadership in particular. Yeah, and, and this does go back to like what's truly changed about product in those, call it 12 years uh, since I've been in the discipline. Uh, I think the biggest thing that's changed is the amount of education that's necessary. Um, but it's still there, especially inside large retailers. Um, and a lot of that comes down to ownership and decision rights. And so uh, a big part as a product leader, as you kind of advance through, is working with the team to define and give your team enough autonomy to then go and be successful. Because you can say that you're creating a product team and you can like you can use the language within your product team but if in your organization, you haven't started to establish where those boundaries are and deciding just how much product led you want to be, you can leave yourself with a, a ton of confusion and gaps in decision rights that just slow everything down. So as a product leader, that's your, your number one responsibility. And thankfully, the need for it has declined uh, meaningfully over the years. It was significantly important back in 2012 to 2015 where nobody knew what product was at all. And if you went in and said, hey, I'm the product manager responsible for you know, search results um, on, on your e-commerce page, your merchandising lead would look at you twice and say, really? I thought I was responsible for how our products show up on the website. So here's, here's what I want to do. Now, please go execute this. And, and I mean, that's one approach to product. It's not what I subscribe to, but it's one approach. Um, but I think that if you want to see things move differently, if you want to follow more of a, a true product-led process, you have to earn those decision rights up front by establishing them, um, showing that you have just as much passion and skin in the game and desire to affect change as any other division within the team, that you are truly part of the kind of the business results, not just technical execution, and then earn it through constantly learning more and more about the environment, about your customer, about the, the way to affect change. 
than any team possibly could when they're actually operating a particular business line inside the team. I think that's really wise advice. If we had um, new product leaders, uh, some new heads of product, new VPs of product, new CPOs listening right now, and they're thinking, okay, I need to I need to do this. I need to follow Rick's advice and I need to assess what are the decision rights, right? How does my team, how is it looked at within the organization in terms of what their responsibility is? Is there clarity amongst my my, my fellow leadership team? Any tools or processes or frameworks that you use that were really helpful for kind of getting the outcome, which is that there's clarity on ownership rights, but doing it in a way that, you know, was particularly expeditious, right? I mean, the most important thing is putting things down on paper and discussing them. Um, and, and I think it starts with like the actual job descriptions of what you're looking for. So putting those down on paper, but not just writing them in isolation. Um, having a job description for what you're looking for and let's say a product director or a group product manager or a senior product manager, and then reflecting on who would they primarily work with and how do those two job descriptions connect? What are the responsibilities and the handoffs so that you can more effectively work together. Um, because at the end of the day, you can't do anything without a team and you need all of these different roles to go and execute. So when you're thinking about introducing a product role or you're thinking about like becoming more and more product led, it's gotta be holistic. You've, you've gotta step back and look at the organization as a whole. Great, great advice. Okay, so one of your lessons is you've gotta understand ownership rights, right? And it's your job as the lead of product to make sure that that is well discussed, agreed to, and then embedded. Anything else that uh, you would say you've learned through your, your years in leading products? <laughs> um, how much time do we got? <laughs> uh, you know, as long as you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there are so many lessons in leading product. Um, I think we should start getting into some of the specifics on like what product challenges are we facing and then how are we applying some of the things that uh, that I've learned and the team's learned in order to go and pursue those uh, to get more of those insights out. It's sometimes hard in the moment to kind of go back through all of the things that we've learned. Well, maybe what we could do is we could frame what you're going to do at Flip, right? What are you going to do? You've got this new, you've got this new opportunity, right? Now I'm a year, and so happy anniversary. But what are you doing, and why? You know, it's basically based on your learnings, right? So tell us what you're really being intentional about at Flip. Yeah. So to double click on what Flip is a little bit to help set that scene, um, we talked about it as like a place where we're trying to help make life more affordable for families, but then the question becomes, how are we trying to do that? And the way that um, Flip operates right now, we're really trying to help a shopper make an informed decision on where and how they should go spend their hard-earned money to get the most out of it. And the way that we do that is we help aggregate all the savings and deals that are available in the market so that you have full access and you can cut through the complexity of who has what on sale when through what vehicle and then decide where you're gonna go shop. So we're really trying to play that strong role in the planning phase so that the shopper is the best informed possible. Okay, so, let's let's put, let's put do a scenario planning. So Tiama yeah. is thinking about buying a new car. Mm -hmm. okay. um, how would Flip help her? Uh, so in this particular case, we wouldn't just yet. Um, okay, Tiama's thinking about buying a... Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. The way that we try and prioritize, if we're going to make life more affordable for families, uh, the way that we look at our strategy is then saying, what are the things that you buy the most frequently? And what are the things that represent the largest share 
of your week to week or month to month budget so that we can help you save money on those things where there is a disproportionate amount of money to be saved. So, so wine or food. One food, or the other. food is definitely center of our strategy. Um, <laughs> pharmacy, um, alcohol is more and more becoming a center strategy thing. And I, I can talk about that as a decision point as well. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting one. And then of course we help with uh, a lot of things in the kind of home maintenance space, um, like housewares and consumables and things like that. But we really serve the bulk of major retail in North America um, from you know the, the Walmarts and the Kroger's and the Albertsons of the world, of course, um, all the way through the Home Depot's and Lowe's. Uh, a lot of the pet guys work very closely with us because we can really help target in on a very uh, specific customer set and behavior set to help get a message across. So we really try and help merchants then reach those customers. And I use the word merchant deliberately because retailer has a certain connotation. And one of the things that I've been trying to do over the course of this year is broaden that connotation because Flip became uh, a strong proponent of supporting the transition from print to digital. So printed flyers, and that was like the major vehicle to communicate savings. And as more and more you know, people who sell, so e-commerce, pure plays and the like, uh, are also trying to communicate savings and deals to shoppers. We're certainly looking at how do we broaden that pool of savings and deals so that we can, uh, we can be more holistic. And that's why I use the term merchant, as it is really someone who is trying to sell to a shopper uh, and be heard and selected from in that particular week. That sounds really exciting, especially in the world of where all of our shopping behavior has changed so much over the last, you know, 12, 18 months, right? And people have had to shift, uh, the merchants have had to shift their strategy <laughs> much more rapidly than McKinsey or Bain could have ever had to, had them kind of uh, do their, their retail to online um, trans, transformation. So what's Flip, where is Flip at in its journey right now? Um, and what are you excited about helping come to pass in your role? So we are a, a 10-year-old startup. Um, we still operate very much in startup mode. There's about 400 of us um, actively pushing against this, you know, how do we help aggregate savings and deals challenge? And, and it's been really exciting to see how the team has come together. Now, I'm a year into my Flip journey, but the nice part is I've interacted and worked with Flip in my retail world a number of times. So I integrated Flip um, at Canadian Tire. I did it again at Sears. They were already there when I began working at Walmart, but they were a key partner in helping me communicate even my e-commerce deals for Black Friday and Cyber Monday and, and those types of things because Flip has cultivated a really strong audience um, for the Flip app and has done a really nice job of making sure that the merchant kind of stands out and is able to represent themselves properly, really not trying to get between the shopper and the merchant um, or take the transaction or become a marketplace of our own, really trying to own that, that planning phase. And so a year in, that's really where I see some of our biggest opportunities is how do we help merchants tell even better savings and deal stories with the, the content that doesn't exist in the pools that we currently have access to. We're really good with flyers. We're really good with coupons. We're getting better with e-com deals. Um, and, and more and more, there are other savings vehicles like rebates and, and new programs with cashback that are, that are coming out. So how do we make sure the shopper has all of the options to make the best informed decision so that they can put their money towards the things that really matter, that family vacation, their kids' education, um, you know, eating healthier and getting more out of life? 
Uh, we really want to put more dollars back in their pockets so they can do more of those things. So that that's one of the major areas that we're focused on. That sounds super exciting. And then on the consumer side, um, if someone wants to take advantage of Flip, how would they do that? So step number one, go to your app store, um, Android, uh, iOS, uh, either way, we're, we're more than happy to have you uh, and download the Flip app. Uh, from there, onboarding is incredibly easy. It's uh, a matter of setting up your location and then you know highlighting which uh, retailers you are most interested in so that we can make sure to get the best content to you as quick as possible. And if you really wanna get the most out of the app, if you really wanna be one of our power users, we recently launched a brand new feature, um, which I'm super excited about that we call watch lists, which allows you to then to pick specific things that you care about the most. And what we've seen is most people pick things that are the biggest portion of their weekly budget. So for me uh, with three kids, it's chicken breast, Activia yogurt and milk. Uh, if I know, because those are generally some of the more expensive things on my list, and if I can go to the right store where I can get those three things on sale, I can save a bunch that week. And so if uh, if if you're interested in getting the most out of it, add a few items that represent the most important things to you to your watch list so that when you jump into the Flip app on a weekly basis, you can immediately go there, get a sense of what's on sale, and then you can go look at the you know content for those particular merchants and see what else is on sale to build out your basket. Sounds really, really attractive, especially in this climate. So both on both sides for the merchant and for the consumer. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing intentionally in building out your product org here. Um, what are the things, you know, kind of jumping back to the thoughts on leadership, lessons of leadership. What have you learned that has influenced, you know, as you said, there's lots of things, but give us some examples of things that because of your learnings in previous roles, you're doing differently at Flip than you did at Walmart. I think the very first thing that I'm doing here that I learned along the way is defining what are the products I care about and, and being intentional around defining what is a product. So to me, a product is a pretty simple definition. It's where you have the combination of a customer with a problem that you can then go and do something about. And, and so trying to set up a product team that's really focused on that combination, customer plus problem. And so we've landed ourselves at having three primary product areas at Flip. We have a shopper product, which is really around how do we best help that shopper choose, which culminates in the app. It culminates in features like watch lists that I just talked about uh, that we go and we work against um, and, and the other vehicles by which we can then reach a shopper and help them make that choice. We have a whole product set around the merchant and how we support you know, letting the merchant tell even better promotional stories so that they motivate shoppers, not just within the Flip app, but anywhere that a merchant wants to tell that story. And so that culminates in a product set we call Hosted, which is ultimately the same capabilities that we have within our app, hosted on the retailer's platform itself, so that their savings and deals can jump out at the shopper and help them make that informed choice. When they're on the, you know, the Walmart website or the Sobeys website, they can they can still get those great capabilities. And we're more than happy to influence on the retailer property or on our own, provided we're helping that shopper save money. Uh, then there's other capabilities on the merchant side to telling the story. So how do you actually produce content? You might have local savings and deals. This product is on sale in this store, but there's not a lot of local vehicles that can actually go out and tell that story well. So if we can provide a platform that then allows them to curate that into a really compelling message, and get that to market through Flip app on their own site, on all of the other media channels that are available to them, 
uh, we think we can help make them eminently more successful. And then the third product in that space is the analytics back. How are people behaving and performing? You should always think about data as a core product um, because there's so much potential there to then influence how your customer is ultimately behaving. We, we focus on it on the merchant front, but it extends across everything. And then the third product area that we have, sorry, I'll touch on this one soon because I'm super excited about it. It actually changes the dynamic quite a bit. Over the last year, we introduced an entirely new customer set who has a new problem in this mix of how uh, customers shop. And that are the CPGs and the brands themselves who are ultimately who fund and power the savings and deals that come through on the merchant side, but they don't necessarily have a voice. They don't have a way to tell you about new products uh, in a way that connects to that product being on sale somewhere that's deeper in the funnel. And we've given brands a whole new voice inside the Flip app where they can reach shoppers more directly and shape demand in a way that meets their own strategy. So it's been really exciting to add a new customer mix into the dynamic of Flip. That sounds fantastic. And it sounds very, um, I mean, each each product that you're talking about, like you say, you have a very powerful combination of problem to solve and ability to solve it with your product. How do you work with your teams to make sure that they share um, you know, alignment and they're keeping each other up to date? Um, what's your strategy for that? Yeah, it, it's all communication, communication and vision. So, I mean, especially in a distributed workforce as we have now, um, it was a little bit easier when we all got together in, uh, in our office in Toronto and we could stand around a whiteboard and really draw out where things were going. Uh, in, the, in more recent times doing it remotely, what we've found is that it just demands like twice as much communication as you would imagine. And so spending time with the team talking about product vision, putting out videos that can be watched and rewatched by new people joining the team on where are we trying to get to and, and why. Um, and then building out, in, in our case, we have like four strategic projects that we're actively working against. And what we do is we set approximately six weeks apart milestones where the exec team is looking for how are we building confidence that that's the right direction and how are we showing progress. And then we can be transparent with the team on how is that progress enabling us to achieve our vision and then what changes are necessary in our strategy in, in order to go and get there. Um, I stole a line from a great leader at Walmart um, that we use far too often at Flip, but it's, we reserve the right to get smarter and we allow ourselves the ability to pivot our strategy on those six week increments so that the team has confidence and clarity for a period of time, knowing though that as a team, we're going to step back, reflect, and then communicate where we're going afterwards. And how, um, coming from, you know, a, a very large organization where, I mean, for those of us who've worked in large organizations, there's pros and there's cons to that, right? Um, and then moving to an organization that's not at the same level, has there been anything that has surprised you about your ability to help drive this clarity and drive the eff efficacy of your teams, right? Um, you know, anything there that you'd, you'd care to expand on? Uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most or that I'm excited about the most is the, the team and the talent at Flip. Um, we would talk about like operating like an owner at Walmart often. And it was a key proponent of what we were trying to do. And in an organization that large, it's really hard. The fruits of your labor don't immediately translate to something that is as tangible as what you would see at a smaller organization. And that really shows in the culture where the individuals on the team are incredibly passionate. They ask really hard hitting questions. They want to know and be involved. 
And in a transparent way, that's not about a gotcha or not about like setting people aside, but it's about like, I want to be bought in because I want to bring my full self to work every day. That's been really inspiring at a smaller organization where the concept of being an owner is incredibly tangible. Like we're a pre-IPO startup. Everyone is an owner legitimately and is really pushing on where this, where, where the future can get us to and how high is high. That's been inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. That founder mindset is so, so important. And it's amazing to hear that it's there. It seems like you're building a pretty exciting culture to be part of. It's been a lot of fun. One year in. One year in. Absolutely. So uh, as we start to wrap up our time, where where do you think you guys will be in a year from now? Any uh, any thoughts on the evolution that will come um, and going back to, you know, that first manager who helped you remember to keep evolving and keep getting smarter? What do you expect? So a, a year from now, I expect us to have a lot more content, a lot more savings and deal content to help shoppers make even better choices. Uh, I expect that we'll have iterated on the the way that we set up our experience um, dramatically as we really kind of look at how we get even stronger product market fit, especially in the United States. Uh, In Canada, our product market fit has been incredible. Uh, Our organic growth has really propelled us to be relevant to a significant portion of Canadians on a week-to-week basis. And we're really looking at how do we create that same level of like passionate advocacy in the United States, which has a slightly different shopping behavior. Now we have a strong user base. We're, we're starting from a good spot, but I think we need to do a lot more iteration and uh, and really go and test a ton of assumptions uh, in order to look at a new shopper base. And it's tough to say the United States with a straight face because it's such a large country with so many disparate you know populations with different needs in it. So we're going to have a lot of learning over the course of the next year in order to show that kind of explosive growth that we're looking for. Those are the two things that will be different. I can't help but ask uh, any any favorite methods for iteration or uh, tools um, approaches. I mean, I'm a big fan of the diverge converge uh, approach. Um, brainstorm and diverge to a lot of different ideas. Um, test them with varying degrees of certainty as you then bring yourself down into a more manageable set of things that you can do at scale. And so, you know, we start with okay, let's diverge on all of the different opportunities on how to, you know disproportionately win in the United States, one of which is how do we get better at alcohol content to your point on wine earlier? Um, Because I think that, you know, from a frequency and share of wallet perspective, it pops up and it's really relevant where it's much more highly regulated in Canada, thus less of an opportunity to go and save on. Um, So there's a real opportunity there. So you diverge out to a broad set, then you use various different research methods to get a sense of, I, I normally like to do a little bit of a three by three on effort versus value just to get things starting to differentiate and you do all of the low effort and high value things immediately and just like decide you're going to do those. And then it gets a little trickier from there as it aligns to your strategy. Um, But you really have to question any of the low value, high effort actions. Um, And it immediately helps you then converge down to things that you want to do in higher levels of fidelity. So, you know, you start with some paper prototyping and like really getting things in front of customers in a way that allows them to touch and feel and respond to give you a little bit more confidence on how good you were with the effort versus value matrix. Uh, And then a couple of those are gonna win. And then you go and build out actual prototypes. You get them into market as quickly as you possibly can. um, And then learn from there. And then if three or four like really brilliant ideas that are gonna move the needle, get your like all the way to scaled production, uh, I'm a happy camper in a quarter and then repeat. 
Awesome. Well, I'll be downloading the flip app so I can see how, uh, how things evolve over the next year. Um, the, the last question I want to ask you, Rick, and we ask everybody who joins us, and this is going to be a fun one for you because you do have so much passion and it just is exuded from you. So imagine a world where we've got a museum dedicated to the best products out there, right? Um, or the most important products, right? Sometimes I've had guests say, actually, I want to put something in the museum that is important and it teaches us a lesson, but it wasn't necessarily the best product ever. Um, what would you say should go on that museum shelf and why? Oh my gosh, how big is this museum? We've got so many options. I mean, I'll remove all limitations. Uh, am I allowed to go right back to fire and the wheel? I mean, absolutely. We've had birth control pill. We've had everything. So yeah, no, you can say whatever you think and yeah. why though. So I, I'm going to dodge the question and instead talk to you about one of the products that I, I'm super excited about that I see in market right now that I I don't know if it's going to earn its way into the like product hall of fame next to fire and the wheel. That might be a little bold, um, but it's something that I think is incredibly clever and it's really looking at a conflux of various problems that exist in the world and solving it in a new way. Uh, and a friend of mine, a, a former Walmart person is the CEO of this company. It's called Imperfect Food. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's uh, solving the the concept of food waste, which is incredibly prevalent um, by helping people, you know, get online grocery that looks at the food that would have been thrown out all the way back at the farm because it doesn't meet the beauty standards of, you know, those of us who shop in person, but is still incredibly nutritious, perfectly good, and should not be thrown out, and then brings it into the ecosystem in a way that saves you money and saves the planet. And I just love that as like the combination of multiple different problem sets. And I'm very hopeful that they get to the point where they need to communicate with a broad audience and they choose the Flip app to do it because I think we can really help them. So Phil, if you're listening, uh, I'm looking forward to helping you guys along the way. Okay, here's hoping that by this time next year when I'm using my Flip app, I not only can see some wine in my U.S. installation of it, but I also can get some imperfect food sent to me so that that food doesn't go to waste. There you go. And, and I certainly hope that the Flip app finds its way into the uh, product hall of fame as well. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of compelling reasons. If uh, if we can save, so this, this is the stat that really like gets me to work every day. Um, using the Flip app, our research has shown in working with different customers who use Flip regularly, that using the app can save the average family $45 a week. And you know, $45 on its own doesn't sound like much, but when you do the math for the year, it's over $2,300. And then when you look at the impact it can have on you know, putting money back into the pockets uh, of people across North America, the, the impact of that can be staggering. So uh, I certainly hope that you know, if we had an additional you know, million active users uh, on top of what we already have, the impact of that could be greater than some of the stimulus packages that we've been talking about. And that's pretty incredible. That you and I, we're on the same page. You took the words out of my mouth again. I was going to say, <laughs> you need to get in touch with Pelosi. That'll blow through the 1400 stimulus. That'll date this episode that we're talking about what the next stimulus is going to be for the American uh, population. But Rick, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your passion, both for you know the world of product and as you said, kind of leaning into something that 
lights you a fire and leaving it better uh, after you were there, but also telling us about Flip. What a cool company and what a great um, a great mission that it has. So really nice to to hear about both. My pleasure, and I absolutely look for your feedback along the way as you become one of those forty five dollar a week savers. Looking forward that's, to it. That's right. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.